This is Africa Digest. Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa. We're broadcasting from an African perspective in Johannesburg. We're currently on Channel 802 on the DSTV Audio Bouquet channel and on free to air satellite past 10, as well as on the internet on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Ziko Nami, so in for Samora Mangesi, and uh, in the news desk is uh, Jolani Tulo, and on econ is Nosile Zuma. In our top stories, on Africa Digest this hour, the European Union unveils a long-awaited migration pact aiming to streamline the asylum process among member states. Zambia opens churches after the hit of COVID-19 and Malawi's politicians are ready to debate the country's abortion bill with mixed views from the public. We'll be looking into these and other stories for the next hour. For now, let's check in on our full news bulletin with Joalani Tulong. SABC News independent and impartial from an african perspective thank you zakona good afternoon african union chair musa faki mohammed has told the united nations security council that insurgents have been exploiting the coronavirus pandemic to make advances in various vulnerable african countries he was speaking at the security council's debate on the maintenance of international peace and security post covid-19 Additional troops that were supposed to be deployed to the Sahel, for example, have been held up. Armed groups and terrorist organizations have exploited the situation to continue to push their tactical advantages to intensify their criminal activities. The region of the Sahel, the Lake Chad Basin, Somalia, and the Cabo Delgado province in the north of Mozambique are stark illustrations of what I'm speaking of. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says South Africa cannot be a civilized society for as long as women are being abused and murdered. He was de- he was virtually delivering the annual Heritage Day message. South Africa is celebrating Heritage Day under the theme celebrating South Africa's living human treasures. President Ramaphosa says throughout history, African history rather, women have been highly respected. Long as this country's women and children live in fear from violence, harassed, abused, beaten, raped and murdered, we cannot say we are a civilized society. Abusing women is not our tradition, nor is it our custom. It is not and will never be our heritage. Throughout the history of this continent, women have built and shaped our societies. They have ruled kingdoms. They have been highly respected and valued. We must put an end to this terrible shame that is tainting the image of our country. When you beat a woman, you beat a nation. South Africa's Gauteng province is gearing up for a possible COVID-19 pandemic resurgence. Although the country has moved to alert level one lockdown, the infection rate has gone down. There are fears of a second wave of the virus as seen in the United Kingdom. On Wednesday, the country recorded an increase of 1,906 new coronavirus infections, bringing the cumulative number to 665,188. The COVID-19 death toll rose to 16,206 after a further 88 fatalities were recorded since the last report. Education MEC Banyazali Sufi says provincial authorities are worried that people could let their guard down. The leader of a delegation representing a block of West African countries, Nigerian former President Goodluck Jonathan, says he is hoping that crippling sanctions against Mali will be lifted following Friday's inauguration of an interim president a month after a military coup. Jonathan, who is the envoy for the 15-nation Economic Community of West African States, or ECOWAS, praised the junta's leadership on his arrival in Mali on Wednesday. Speaking to the media, Jonathan said the soldiers who have taken power are doing a job in line with what the ECOWAS leaders wanted. The junta seized power after deposing President Bubakar Ibrahim Keita. Colonel Asami Goita is said to become Mali's next vice president. 
And finally, Britain is preparing Magnisti sanctions, sanctions rather, against individuals in Belarus over human rights violations in coordination with the United States and Canada. This after British Foreign Minister Dominic Raab heavily criticized the country's recent election. He called the inauguration of Belarus President Alexandra Lukashenko as a fraudulent inauguration. Raab directed the Foreign Office sanctions team to prepare sanctions for all those responsible for the serious human rights violations. For Child Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo, and for now, here's some sporting news with Neto Chimani. Thank you, Jolani. A very good afternoon, sport fans. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa's Level 1 announcement of the ongoing COVID-19 lockdown in the country has brought jubilance to the boxing community. 2017 award-winning South African boxing trainer Colin Nathan says the boxers are exhilarated to be back in training, preparing for shows scheduled to take place from next month. The response in training was great when we were allowed back into the gyms three, four weeks ago. Personally, I, I miss being in the gym with the fighters. I miss my office. And now it's just kind of great to get back. And the fighters, some did, you know, roll into the gym. They weren't in great shape. But a lot of the fighters, you know, came in in semi-decent shape. But, you know, right now, you know, a lot of people are just happy to kind of get back and get back into the swing of things. In football news, Nigeria Football Federation NFF Technical Director General Draw has announced a 25-man squad to face the Elephants of Cote d'Ivoire and Eagles of Cartage, Tunisia, in international friendlies taking place next month. Channel Africa's Nigeria-based correspondent Tony Obani has more. As a result of the prolonged global coronavirus pandemic, Raw has listed top names Ahmed Musa, Kenneth Omero, William Ekong, and Wilfred Ndidi, as well as New Brooms, Frank Oyeka, and Chidera Ejuke. Former under 17 World Cup winning goalkeeper Dele Alampasu returns to the group, as well as midfielder Mikel Ago, captain of the most recent Nigerian under 17 squad, Samson Tijani, will join up with uh, the elite as well as Portugal based excited wing back Zaidu Sanusi. Goalkeeper Madoka Okoye, now in the Netherlands, is heading to Austria as England based forward Kelechi Hanacho also returns. Victor Oshime, now in Italy with Napoli, and another former under 17 World Cup winner, Samuel Tukweze, are also called. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto NETO Chemani. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Jolani and Neto, for those updates. At seven minutes after five o'clock, this is Africa Digest. My name is Zikon Amiso Info Samara Mangesi. The European Union has unveiled a long-awaited migration pact aiming uh, to streamline the asylum process among member states to fix what EU leaders acknowledge was an ineffective system. The new pact aims to better share the burden of relocating asylum seekers by allowing member states to contribute instead of returning individuals who do not qualify for asylum. Now, ever since the influx of over a million migrants and refugees in 2015, mainly via Italy and Greece, the EU's 27 states have been divided over how to respond and the new pact has already attracted criticism. For some reaction on the pact, Channel Africa spoke to Karen Metz, who's a senior advocacy advisor on asylum and migration at Save the Children. Well, um, the new migration and asylum pact was designed to find a compromise between EU member states, uh, many of which do not uh, want refugees and migrants to come to Europe to begin with. So the protection of migrants and refugees is not central uh, to this pact. One thing we are very concerned about is the introduction of new border and pre-screening procedures, which is similar to what we now already see on the Greek islands uh, where the fire started uh, on Lesbos. And these uh, procedures would channel people, would, would register people upon arrival and then channel them into an asylum, a return or a border procedure. And all of this would entail detention. Now, we have seen that these procedures do take time. It takes time to process an asylum claim. It is not so easy to return people, for instance, if they don't have any documents. So we fear that this will lead to long-term detention of a large group of people. But uh, the commitment is also made in uh, this pact to monitor abuses at the borders. Do you welcome uh, this commitment? That is correct. There are a few positive things in the pact as well. So there is a commitment um, to monitor uh, violations 
relations at the borders. And this is where we have seen a lot of pushbacks recently, for instance, between Greece and Turkey, but also in the Balkans. There are also some exemptions for children, which we are quite glad about. So children should be uh, unaccompanied children and children below the age of 12 are exempt from these border procedures. There are some commitments related to family reunification, etc. So these are positive developments. Some first steps are also taken to establish a solidarity mechanism between EU member states. Uh, This is also positive, but will really depend on what member states commit to do. The European Commission heard Ashley von der Leyen is calling this proposal a European solution to restore citizens' confidence. Do you agree with her? Well, my reaction is quite mixed to this. Um, It seems that the EU has really listened to uh, some of the countries that do not want migrants to come to Europe. So there is a bit of a shift to the right. And a lot, again, will depend on what EU member states commit to do. Um, For instance, if member states will not relocate from border countries like Italy, Greece or Malta, um, these countries will be less likely to cooperate with these new procedures. So a lot will depend on the commitment that will follow from this pact. Now, this proposal comes after your report released earlier this month, which showed that more than 200,000 unaccompanied children sought asylum in Europe over the last five years. What kind of impact is this experience having on the children's mental health? It is very challenging, especially in Greece, of course. We have we have documented the, the acute mental health issues with children um, committing to self-harm or or, or trying to attempt suicide or or, or engaging in substance abuse. But what we also see is that various EU member states implement policies that create a great deal of insecurity for children. So uh, family reunification has become much more difficult. They, they, They face difficulties in accessing a secure residency status, so they often have to renew permits, which causes a great deal of stress. Some of them also have temporary permits, which expire when they turn 18, um, which also causes a lot of trauma and depression, and they fear being deported. Are you expecting any pushback, uh, Karen, from uh, the nations which are considered nationalist nations, such as Hungary, Poland, and uh, Northern European nations? Are you expecting some kind of resistance uh, with regards to this new proposal? Well, while we really consider this proposal to be really an admission to those countries, Um, and to be beneficial for those countries, still a lot of countries do not want to relocate asylum seekers. And relocation of asylum seekers is still a part of this proposal. It is not mandatory, so uh, which is different from before, where there was a mandatory relocation system, which these countries really fought against and were were, were really against. But um, the new proposal still includes measures for solidarity, which includes taking up some asylum seekers. So that could be a great point of resistance still for these countries. You spoke earlier about your concerns uh, with regards to the continued detention of migrants at the borders. What would be the reasonable time for migrants to spend at the borders, do you think? Well, we believe as save the children, that migrant children should never be detained because it always causes trauma and it is never in their best interest. So for any kind of child, we believe detention is not a good option. What we believe could be a solution is um, open centers at the borders, which still allow uh, freedom. And specifically for families, we want adaptive housing for them. And this can all be established. It is not that hard. Uh, while while their applications are being processed. We don't see detention as a necessary measure. Uh, We believe there are other ways of keeping people there. And one way is, of course, to improve the reception conditions in these countries, which some of them have been reluctant to do because they would rather uh, have asylum seekers that pass through their countries move on to other countries rather than stay there. Well, that was Karen Metz, Senior Advocacy Advisor on Asylum and Migration at the Humanitarian Organization for Children, Save the Children. She is on the line there from Brussels in Belgium and speaking to Komero Munjerere. It brings the time to 14 minutes after 5 o'clock. Zambia continues opening up other sectors back to normalcy after the hit of COVID-19. Churches have been remembered by the state and now are given some extra relaxed measures. Arthur Davis Skopo, our Zambia correspondent, has the details. Zambia has continued to relax restrictions on COVID-19 measures in its quest to open up various sectors back to their original being, 
before the pandemic hit. A critical driver of the economy, bars, nightclubs and restaurants that contribute much taxes to government were allowed to open for bars and nightclubs. It's over the weekends for some hours. Schools have equally been opened and are now operational, though with a strict adherence to COVID-19 preventative measures. And now churches have been granted an extension of hours of congregating from one to two hours. Churches are now allowed to congregate for longer durations than one hour. And church members above 60 years of age without underlying factors like asthma, breathing challenges, among others, are now allowed back to church, while those above 70 years of age are still told to stay home. Permanent Secretary in the Ministry of Religious Affairs, Reverend Howard Quella, confirms the relaxed measures by the states. Reverend Howard Quella has further cautioned members of the public and churchgoers to be observers of COVID-19 preventative guidelines. Renowned Lusaka Bishop, John Mambo of Christian Family Church International welcomes the realization of some of the COVID-19 measures. So I think it's a good move, but uh, let the church itself regulate, to regulate ourselves. That this announcement, yes, it's a plus, but then we are a very, very responsible body. We should be, in fact, in this country, we should be the first people to be to be loved on such things. Because a church is a hospital of all sicknesses, the drunkards and all. So once you close the hospital, many people will die. The Catholic Church, that at some point differed sharply with the state when it gave a go-ahead on opening of churches at the height of the pandemic through President of Zambia, Edgar Chagualongo, says only the Council of Bishops will give its members guidance on the extension of long hours of congregating. And Bishop Mambo, who is also founder of Chikondi Foundation, a charity non-governmental organization, cautions government to be systematic as it opens up other sectors. There they must be very careful because they will end up killing people innocent people for nothing. They should come up with the budget that was announced and then uh, uh, also told the funds release. Companies are shutting down because they never really uh, received any relief. But if you are going to open, you know, blindly, you are going to uh, uh, kill a, lo- a lot of people. Zambia has continued to record good results in terms of low infections of COVID-19 recorded each day. On 21st September 2020, the country recorded the lowest rate of 4% positive cases as it had 61 new COVID-19 cases out of the 1,581 tests conducted in 24 hours. This has been considered as a remarkable progress. Today, the cumulative number of COVID-19 cases in Zambia is at 14,443 with 13,629 recoveries and 332 deaths and a 482 active cases. This shows some remarkable decline in the number of COVID-19 cases being recorded in the country. Reporting for Channel Africa in Lusaka, I'm Arthur Davis, Skopo. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netle to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussion have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. 
Welcome back to Africa Digest. It is 20 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're tuned into Channel Africa and we're broadcasting from an African perspective in Johannesburg. Allianz has unveiled the 11th edition of its Global Wealth Report, which puts the asset and debt situation of households in almost 60 countries under the microscope. Now, never in the last few years has there been such a big increase in wealth. Worldwide gross financial assets are said to have grown by 9.7% in 2019, clocking the strongest growth since 2005. Now, to take us through the contents of the report, we join now on the line by senior economist for France and Africa, Celine Oziot, who is joining us on the line from Paris. Celine, thank you so much for joining us. So, good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Good evening. It's great to have you on the show. Now, just before we delve into um, the findings of the report, talk us through um, the report and, and really what it's all about and what it's uh, been able to do in the past few years. Uh, the report is uh, about knowing how much wealth uh, the households are owning. So what I mean wealth, uh, it's, it's all the bank deposits and together with all kinds of financial assets. So just uh, bear in mind that we don't include uh, real estate in the in the counting of wealth. And, and why is that? Uh, it's it's uh, very difficult to evaluate. So it depends. Also, we need to have uh, comparable measures from one country to another. So it creates a lot of uh, bias, if you want, because in the end we come up with a the ranking. So it needs to be really comparable among countries. So, so in essence, it, it would become a little bit more involved of a report then? Sorry? It would become a little bit more involved to add um, those assets as well. Yeah, exactly. It will make it even more difficult to compare an assets uh, among rankings also from one year to another. Uh, so we, we keep uh, bank deposits and stock markets uh, as main uh, metrics, stock markets and all the insurance and securities that households are owning. Mm. Now, let's talk about um, the leap that we've seen um, in 2020. It's been a different year in terms of an increase in, in wealth. Let's talk about that increase, um, how big the increase has been as opposed to previous years. And um, uh, what spurred this growth? Okay, so uh, the number for to 2019, as you said, it's 9.7% of increase of gross financial assets worldwide. So it's the largest increase, as you said, and, and it's uh, and when you look at and this was of course before the COVID nineteen crisis, mm. and now it's quite surprising uh, when we look at the twenty twenty data. We have only the first half of the year. Uh, believe me, we still have an increase of one point five percent. Okay, it's not as big as last year, but we could say uh, the wealth of households continue to increase. And the main reason for this is, uh, as I said, deposits are in our accounting. So deposits, household deposits were increasing by 7% in the beginning of the year uh, because of precautionary savings and also because of generous support from governments, especially in advanced economies. And the second factor is the good performance of stock markets, especially for tech companies. Now, let's talk a bit about, uh, bring it um, home a bit and talk about um, African countries and how um, they're doing with regards to this report. I know that uh, South Africa has been ranked 38th on the list. Um, Let's talk a bit about um, uh, what it is that South Africa is is doing and what uh, this uh, positioning can be attributed to. Okay, South Africa has a 38th position, so it's uh, last year also in the report South Africa was positioned at 38 for net financial assets. So I mean, you take all the wealth, all the assets and you that the debt like the outcome is the net financial assets and it increased 7.4% in 2019. So it's a good performance Celine, I'm just going to ask you to try and, and move around a bit. Uh, we seem to be having a bit of difficulty with the line at the moment. Um, I'm just going to remind our listeners uh, so long that you are tuned in to Africa Digest. It's 24 minutes after uh, 5 o'clock Central African time. We are speaking to Celine Ozut, who is a senior economist for France and the Af- and Africa at uh, Aliens. Uh, she is joining us from the city of Paris in France. Celine, can you still hear us? 
I do. Uh, is the reception better? Fantastic. You sound much better. Yes, you were talking oh, about so South happy. Africa being ranked at 38 and, and what this can be attributed to. Okay. Uh, first, yeah, the, the increase was 7.4% in 2019 in net assets. And this came after a, a decrease the year before of the same magnitude. So that increase of wealth, indeed, it's kind of a catch-up mm. after uh, 2018, where the performance of the stock market was particularly poor. That was the main driver back then of the of that decrease in wealth. So, so in 2019, it's mostly the stock market is uh, performing much better. Mm-hmm. So that drove up the the situation of wealth. Um, but South Africa is the, the, the best-ranked uh, country, of course, on the African continent. So what I would say, uh, it's a good performer in terms of wealth, but uh, the main issue for many other emerging countries is the distribution of this wealth. Mm. And I was actually going to ask you about how the rest of the continent um, fares um, when it comes to, to, to wealth in this report. Uh, we only take the 60 countries, so we don't have, like, the other countries come uh, after South Africa. We also have uh, the emerging countries coming after South Africa. So, uh, the of course, the continent scores very poor, but one of the main reasons for that also is the the low uh, ratio of banking, uh, so mm-hmm. bank deposits or, or the uh, incomplete development uh, of financial markets. So this is why most countries are out of our radar to compile this indicator. Now, of course, we can't have this conversation without uh, bringing in the COVID-19 pandemic and how this um, can affect um, these countries moving forward. Um, you as a body are concerned about the impact of, of, of COVID-19 in terms of widening the gap between the rich and the poor. Let's talk a little bit about that. Exactly. Exactly. I think this is the main takeaway from our report. Because already in uh, 2018, it was kind of we saw a stagnation of this catching up. I mean, emerging and poor countries, uh, the wealth in those countries was growing faster than in advanced countries. This came to a, to a pause in 2019, and the new report shows exactly that uh, there's a reversal of the trend. Like rich countries are getting richer, and thanks to that stock market performance mm. mostly, and then that gap is becoming bigger. So 10% of richest uh, population is owning 84% of total assets. And this is very concerning, uh, as you said, because of the COVID-19, because it's another amplifier factor that that makes uh, the most vulnerable uh, poorer. Sure. Well, um, Celine, for people who would like to have a deeper look into this report, how can they do that? Um, is it available uh, for the public um, online or on any other platforms? Exactly, on the website of the Amazon Research, uh, <laughs> Alliance Research, they could have access to, to our report, of course. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much yeah. for joining us thank and, so and breaking down uh, the highlights of, of the report. I'm sure that uh, for those who are interested in having a deeper look, they'll definitely visit um, your page uh, for uh, greater insight. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Selina Zerta, Senior Economist for France and Africa at Alliance, one of the seven um, leading insurers and asset managers. She was in the city of uh, Paris, uh, France there. And, of course, breaking down uh, the 11th edition of uh, its Global Wealth Report, which puts uh, the asset and debt situation of households in almost 60 countries under the microscope. Very interesting um, to hear some of the things coming out of that report. South Africa there, as you heard, being ranked 38th. It is 28 minutes after five. O'clock. Jolana Tulo will be joining us shortly for our news headlines. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, 
GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it. Don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think we should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. It's time now for our news headlines with Jolani Tulo. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Zikona. Making headlines, African Union Chair Musa Faki Mohamed has told the United Nations Security Council that insurgents have been exploiting the coronavirus pandemic to make advances in various vulnerable African nations. South Africa's President Soro Ramaphosa says South Africa cannot be a civilized society for as long as women are being abused and murdered. He was virtually delivering the annual Heritage Day message and still in South Africa, the Gauteng province is gearing up for a possible COVID-19 pandemic resurgence. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Jolani. The government of Kaduna State in north-central Nigeria has gone into partnership with the UN Fund for Population Activities in the treatment of uh, a fistula a health condition which has uh, crippled the aspirations and living standards of at least 12,000 women in the state. In an ongoing program of action to restore health to the victims, a process of corrective surgery to repair damages caused to the woman has is being carried out. Channel Africa's news correspondent in Lagos, Collins Atunhegbe, reports. Cases of vesicle vaginal fistula is rampant in communities in northern Nigeria where religions, custom and traditional practices permit giving away of underage girls in marriage. This practice stands out as the main cause of the situation which results into the ailment which leaves the victims in self-pity and devastation. Except help comes from intervention programs like the Kaduna State Government has embarked upon now in collaboration with the UNFPA. During a visit to the medical center where about 50 women have been able to assess corrective surgery and drugs for sustenance. The Kaduna State Deputy Governor Hadiza Balarbi says the women are often stigmatized, making it difficult for them to come out to the public to assess assistance for health care. The condition in which they come, the kind of rejection they suffer, the stigma that they have, no matter who you are, you feel like you something. Going by the nature of communal life in the endemic communities coupled with the poverty and lack of access to social amenities including healthcare and education, the girl child is often on the receiving end where priority is placed on educating the male child while the girl child who often go to the streets to hawk goods is left to societal ills and sometimes they come home raped. Elizabeth Fatima David of the Kaduna Ministry of Education says life is not kind to the girl child. So when it comes to choosing who to send to school, especially when they have limited resources, they choose the boy's child. They believe that the girl child will eventually marry to another family, so they will not spend their resources to train her. When there are so many children to cater for, it is normally the girl child that will pay the price. One of the convenience of Awareness education on the safety and well-being of the girl child, Ebrike Esike, says educating the 
girl child will arm her with the means of self-defense against molestation, especially rape and gender violence. Now, when a girl is raped, it dehumanizes her. And because of her nature as a country, they find it difficult to speak out because of stigmatization. Now, any stimulation starts with safe space. They will be equipped with information around communication, information about violence against women and girls. They will have opportunity to engage critical security. They will be trained on some critical element of conflict management and peace building. In a neighboring Yobe state, the government has entered into agreement with a healthcare facility provider to reduce such issues of lack of access and high cost of healthcare. The state governor, Lawal Ghana, says it is hoped the agreement will make access to healthcare delivery affordable. What we have just done is like um, signing a contract between our healthcare facilities and the agency. The healthcare facilities have agreed to provide the services according to the benefit package as enshrined in the agency law. Part of it basically is to ensure that they provide qualitative um, services 24-7. The agreement basically is around ensuring that when a client comes to the health facility, um, you'll be able to access services without uh, incurring any financial hardship. But from all indications, there is the evidence that if there are no laws to put the husbands of victims of VVF in check and to give parents a reversal of attitude, it will not be easy sustaining the drive to reduce, if not totally eliminate, incidences of vesicovaginal fistula in Nigeria. The wife of the Kaduna State Governor, Umi Erufai, says such laws will be necessary to safeguard the interests of the victims who are often abandoned by those who should be concerned with their plights. I wish there was a law that would be binding on husbands who abandon their wives in this condition um, because it's a terrible thing to do and sometimes even the parents who force the girls into early marriages actually abandon them when they fall into these problems. Two of the victims who benefited from the ongoing medical programs thanked the Kaduna State Government for helping to solve their health problems. They spoke in Hausa language through an interpreter. I contracted this infection during my first childbearing. I don't have children, but I'm very grateful for a successful operation. I pray God continue to bless this government and protect them from evil people because of their kindness and support towards us. We do not pay for all the services. We all get it for free, and we are indeed grateful. It was during childbearing that I had this problem of urinary tract infection. Thank God I came here and it was solved. All we needed was provided. A survey by the UNFPA says there are about 400,000 victims of vaginal fistula in Nigeria, but there is a regular discovery of new cases due primarily to most victims not being able to come out to the open because of stigmatization. Kaduna State has about 12,000 recorded cases with some of them being women of about 26 years or less. The condition leaves the victims with inability to control their bowel movement and urine and they are often abandoned by their husbands and relatives once the condition occurs. They are made up of women who were married off in their teens as child bride or who are defied repeatedly sometimes as young as 9 years. It can be treated medically through corrective surgery but stigmatization has kept many at home and are therefore not reachable for assistance. From Lagos, Nigeria, I'm Collins Nosato for Channel Africa News. Well, that reporter bring the timer to almost 20 minutes before the top of the hour. Nosike Zuma will be joining us not too long for now, from now rather, with our economic update. Malawi is expected to table the controversial pregnancy termination bill in parliament, which if passed into law would save women and girls from unnecessary deaths caused by unsafe abortion and other causes. Well, this is despite growing pressure from some religious organizations not to do so, thereby threatening national protests and a vigil at parliament in the wrong way. George Mungo reports from Blantyre. This comes as Malawi is said to have been sitting on the proposed law since 2016 when the Law Commission released its report where it recommended the enactment of the termination of pregnancy bill. Health authorities have on several times cleared the misconception that the law proposed law legalizes abortion but resistance continues. The bill, however, adds that termination of pregnancy may be performed to prevent injury to the physical and mental health of the pregnant woman and in cases of severe fetal malformation, rape, incest and defilement. 
Tambijiri Manguru, a human rights activist, says civic education is paramount to clear misconception. We need to have an adequate debate, get opinions, and then consolidate those opinions to say as a country, which is the direction that we want to take. Because each and every voice that is coming out is very important. So one, we have to, uh, to, to check the right to health. Secondly, we have to check the right of the unborn child, whether the fetus or not. Uh, is it worth it? So the dichotomy between the religious perspective, the health perspective, and the rights perspective is a very difficult one to agree. Currently, Religious Network for Choice Secretary Reverend Kalinde has urged government to exercise its obligation of protecting lives of women and girls through the bill once in a The commission said that uh, um, the abortion law should remain illegal, but there are certain grounds that were put, uh, that, were, uh, that were included, that should allow women to seek or to procure abortion. So what we are saying is that whatever uh, is being said, is, uh, from, especially from our, our friends, religious leaders, are trying to mis misinform people things that are not there, that things that are not in the, the, the bill itself, which is very unfair which is a, a dishonesty on themselves. The Parliamentary Committee on Health says government has an obligation to ensure that no woman should die due to pregnancy-related causes. The committee bemoaned that while neighboring countries have drastically reduced maternal deaths, the country still lags behind as 439 out of every 100,000 women die due to pregnancy-related factors. But Mongolia states that human rights issues have to be treated as such. Malawi will go by the voices of the people. The parliamentarians in parliament need to get the opinion of the people from the constituents. What are the people saying? And then let's consolidate those voices to produce one concrete answer to say, okay, I think as a country, this is the election that we need to take. So I would suggest that uh, members of parliament do consultations in their respective uh, constituencies and then the, uh, the opinions that will come, they are the ones that will form their decisions in parliament. But as a human rights activist, I both stand in between to say, under what circumstances uh, are we are we allowing the woman to abort? Is it is it a threat to have? Those issues need to come out. And then there are those people that are raped and then they take unwanted pregnancies, early child marriages, under those circumstances. I mean, how do we now assist to say, let us allow this person to, uh, to, to abort? Once we address these issues, I think we'll have a well-informed act or a well-informed bill in parliament that politicians can deliberate and pass on. Currently, over 140,000 women induce abortion every year, according to research conducted by the College of Medicine, which is an arm of the University of Malawi. Malawi's parliament is due to vote on the bill when it is tabled. George Mohango, Channel for Blandaya. While it's not easy covering a new pandemic as seen with COVID-19, the South African media is applauded for its remarkable efforts in educating the public and keeping them informed about the virus. Now, in April, the global study revealed that the country ranks as the second in the world, which reports on the coronavirus accurately, beaten only by Singapore. President Sol Ramaphosa also recently noted that the media has played a key role in combating COVID-19 in part by exposing wrongdoings around the country's response to the pandemic. Jen Rabutada compiled the following report. The South African media has worked very well with all organs of society to ensure that accurate and actual information about COVID-19 reaches all corners of the country since it began traversing uncharted territory. This is the view of various bodies in the country, including scientific, academic and government institutions. Professor Glenda Gray of the South African Medical Research Council says the media has never been so engaged on a daily basis and wanting to transmit information to the public. The media has been excellent in the reporting of this epidemic. I have never been in a situation you know, ever in my life, even with the HIV epidemic, where everybody, whether it's written media, radio or television, that there's a, a hunger and thirst to convey information to the public on COVID-19 and also to correct any misinformation. And I hope that they would continue to be engaged in the future when we talk about TB and HIV and non-communicable diseases. The interest in this epidemic has been phenomenal by the media. COVID-19 coverage has not just been about information, but also education about the virus. Secretary General of the South African National Editors Forum, Matlhatsi Matlhatsi. It's not easy covering a new pandemic as we've seen with COVID-19. The scientists were learning 
as we were living through the disease and science itself was changing with information that was gathering every single day. So the media has had to keep up. And I think they've done quite well. I mean, as an example, if you remember when the pandemic reached South Africa and then there was a whole debate about whether we should be wearing masks and then initially we were told not to wear masks. Then later on we were told, actually, no, 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 you must actually wear masks, you know? So that's what I'm just giving as an example of the science around the disease itself has been shifting with more knowledge that's been acquired and the media has had to respond and respond very quickly to it. So I think in that way we've done very well. Tandom Tembu is a community health worker from Stratford Clinic in Orange Farm on the outskirts of Johannesburg. She says radio has been a powerful tool of communication in COVID hotspots. We don't have a big role since we have this pandemic. Always they talk about this COVID-19 on the social media, on the radio, pamphlets. Even us to deliver the, the pamphlets so that they can read. But you know our black community, there are some who are unable to read those pamphlets. There are some who are throwing it away. They don't want any information. The information doesn't reach them. But on the radio, it's good because they always on the radio and listening to the radio so that they can get that information and use it. In his assessment of the country's COVID-19 coverage, Professor Guy Richards from Wits University in Johannesburg has, however, charged the media with focusing on negative aspects of the virus. Like, for example, if one child got ill, a headline would be that the child gets COVID and dies of COVID. Meantime, the child that died of COVID had severe heart disease and happened to have had COVID as well. Uh, but that's, those sorts of things play upon fears. I think in some ways, and that's not everybody, obviously, I think that people have played upon fear to drive the approach or the response in the community rather than good educational material and telling people precisely what the likelihood is that people were going to die from it. South Africa has this week moved to alert level one of the nationwide lockdown, which comes with more easing of the restrictions and further opening of the economy. Provincial spokesperson for the Gauteng government, Tabo Masebe, commends the media's continued coverage of developments in the country around COVID. We have seen in the voices that there are a number of experts that uh, continue to speak. You also have voices of uh, ordinary people And of course, the voices of politicians and others continue to be important. So the most important thing is that all of us need to understand the risk posed by COVID-19, especially in this period when the economy is reopening, uh, the risk does not uh, go away. So it is very important that all of us should continue to talk about it and understand what we need to do to prevent the spread. In a weekly newsletter, President Cyril Ramaphosa commended the country's media, but also noted that the industry, like all other sectors of the economy, had taken a hit from the health crisis, with some publications losing as much as 60% of their income in the early days of the lockdown. Ramaphosa urged the private sector to continue to support the industry. Sanef's Matlatsi Matlatsi reminds society of the importance of journalism. It can be life-saving because we were on the front line of giving reports on this and that's how the public was getting informed and that is quite critical. And sadly, while this disease revealed how critical journalism is, we saw some newsrooms shutting down and media houses closing down or journalists being retrenched. And that is the sad part for me. But I think as a country, we have to use this opportunity to reflect and see the value of Good, critical journalism. That's Matlatsi Matlatsi, Secretary General of the South African National Editors Forum. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Jane Rabutata in Johannesburg. That report by Jane bring the time almost 10 minutes before the top of the hour. We're still tuned in to Africa Digest. My name is Zikona Miso. Do stay with us. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. (laughs) You know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice.
Hello Africa, welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. It's now time for our economic update with Nosile Zuma. Thank you, Zikana. Good evening. The aviation industry executives say airline passengers want visible plastic barriers in the cabin to reinstill confidence in flying during the pandemic, saying they do not all trust industry assurances about high air quality on board. According to a panel at the MRO Asia Pacific Conference held online on Thursday, other pandemic-related trends could include more private business class seating on a narrow-body planes, adding touchless lavatory features and permanent conversions of passenger planes to freight to freighters. Transport Minister Figilim Balula says he is satisfied with the health protocols implemented by the airport company of South Africa at entry points as the country prepares to resume international travel on the 1st next month. Malula conducted a COVID-19 regulations compliance inspection at Cape Town International Airport in the Western Cape Province. He says COVID-19 protocols need to be strictly observed during lockdown level one. AXA has taken it upon itself to ensure that uh, all regulations, everybody who comes to this airport do comply. And you know that our entry point is going to be OR Tambo, Kinshaka, and the Cape Town International Airport. The President have pronounced that from the 1st of October, international travel is open. But the President have said we must do that cautiously. A group of Apple Inc.'s critics, including Spotify Technology SA, Match Group Inc. and Fortnite creator Epic Games, have joined a non-profit group that plans to advocate for legal and regulatory action to challenge the iPhone maker's app store practices. Apple charges a commission of between 15% to 30% for apps that use its in-app payment system and sets out extensive rules that apps must comply with to apply to to appear in its app store. The Coalition for App Fairness, restructured as a non-profit based in Washington, D.C. and Brussels, said it plans to advocate legal changes that would force Apple to change. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has used his Heritage Day message to warn companies against displaying advertisement that could send negative stereotypical messages. This follows a recent controversy over an online ad by a retail giant which showed images of black women's hair being described as frizzy, dry and damaged, and a white woman's hair as fine, flat and normal. Speaking in a virtual 2020 National Heritage Day keynote address, Ramaphosa has called on firms to be mindful of people of all races and culture. We must stand firm against attempts to disrespect our country's women through crude forms of representation in the media, in advertising, and in popular culture. An offensive hair advertisement that was recently published shows that we still have a long way to go. It is disheartening to see that in democratic South Africa, there are still crude stereotypes of black women being put on public display. The social cohesion we seek in this country means we must be mindful of the legacy of our past. And ByteDance has applied for a tech export license in China as it races to seal a deal with Oracle Corp and Walmart Inc. that hopes will end U.S. government plans to ban its TikTok video streaming app on security grounds. The Beijing-based firm says it has submitted the application to Beijing's Municipal Commerce Bureau and is awaiting a decision. The application comes about a month after China revised its list of technologies subject to export bans or restrictions for the first time 
time in 12 years, the independent which experts said gave the government a say over any TikTok deal. For financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 384.21 Nigerian Nara, 11.38 Botswana Bula, 107.54 Kenyan Shilling, and 1998 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar is trading at 5.51 Brazilian Rule, 76.55 Russian Ruble, 73.52 Indian Rupee, 6.79 Chinese Yuan, and at 16.95 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 78 pence to the British pound and 85 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at at $1,865 and platinum at $851 per ounce. And the price of brand crude oil is at $42.26 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Nosi Hezum. This is Africa Digest. Well, thank you, Nosite. That's how we wrap things up for Africa Digest. For now, from myself, is Kona Miso, my producer, Lebu uh, Munamukulu, and uh, to my technical producer, Adrian Kenny. It's a cheers for now. We leave you with the sounds of Brenda Farsi. This one is titled, Batlagegile.